Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. Uh, I am Jill Fremming from The Joe Down, and with me is Paul Muadib from Cast That Movie. How are you doing, Paul? I am doing well. I am so excited to talk Twin Peaks with you again. Yeah, I am excited too, uh, considering we are now all living like Harold Smith. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start, you know what? Just because you said that, I'm going to start figuring out how to grow. I'm going to order some flowers. I'm going to start growing some orchids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mean, are you going to befriend a, a high school girl and keep her secret diary? <laughs> um, I don't, I'm don't. i not looking to go to jail again. Um, but, <laughs> but yes. Yes, I will. All right. Uh, well, last week we, uh, we ended... With episode three, uh, which is uh, the money shot episode. This is where we finally, well, not finally, we didn't even know it existed at the time. But in hindsight, it's, you know, the Black Lodge, the Red Room, Cooper's Dream. And uh, it's the show's going full steam ahead after that because everybody's like, what the fuck did we just see? Now we're going into episode four, technically episode three, because we can't have nice things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're not allowed thanks to licensing rights yes uh rest in pain the episode titles these titles uh i believe were given to the show after once they are put out on like dvd just because they needed a chapter name or whatever but yeah episode we'll be doing episodes three uh four and five or three and four based on you know whatever uh rest in pain and the one-armed man now. Yes, yes. Now, um, there is, you know, we talked about we come off the money episode and we get these two episodes. And these two episodes were written by um, Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls, um, respectively. Episode 3-4 being Harley, episode 4-5 being Robert. Um, they were big time writers in that second season. And this shows in this episode, um, you know, it, this is, to me, at least coming in, I still love it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love this season, but looking at it critically of breaking it down for these podcasts and only because I'm really been limiting myself and watching Twin Peaks now to only the episodes that we're going to be watching for our podcast. It's just the way I've been watching it this time. Normally I watch it in a, in a succession. Um, and isolating these two episodes by themselves there's a lot of filler yeah these uh these are heavy on b c d e f plots like they're not bad here's the thing like when i'm just sitting sitting back and watching this first season it's enjoyable like these just come up it's part of the stories part of the show but when we're breaking it down to discuss twin peaks by episode it's when we start kind of seeing well this is a lot of a lot of filler and it's probably by design just because we get this mist mysterious dream and then lynch and frost being lynch and frost we're probably like now let's throw a bunch of bullshit at these people <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah there's definitely because <clears throat> again knowing what we know we were never we were never supposed to find out who killed laura palmer and so I feel like this is like, you know, like they gave you the hook in the first couple episodes. And then this is like the simmer down period. And you see, you know, even even looking at the return, 
kind of that vibe is there where there's these giant peaks and then you have the lulls. And I, I think, you know, Lynch is, is very good at toying with people. And I think this is kind of his thing because going into the episodes that come in afterwards, you hit those peaks again of, whoa, wait a minute, this is awesome. And then you get that lull, you know, um, it's toying with you. I think that's really what these two episodes are. Yeah. And what they, and I should also add the person, uh, Robert, uh, I don't know exactly the story of how, but he ended up, Mark Frost did not want to do fire walk with me. Uh, there was a lot of bad blood between everybody involved with twin peaks and Lynch wanted to do the movie. Frost said, okay, I'm just not interested in doing twin peaks anymore. So Robert Engels is the, the co-writer of fire walk with me. And then we really, I don't, a lot of these people didn't come back for the return because that was exclusively written and directed by Lynch and Frost. Like, so these people don't come back. None of these directors and all these people that are usually associated with Lynch. They're just, this is the return is ultimately his and Frost pet project. And they're the ones 100% sole control. And it kind of shows. <laughs> it very much shows. So, all right. So when we left off, Joe, it was Cooper had the dream. Yeah, the dream. He, uh, you know, I really, we don't really need to explain it. If you're listening, you know what the dream is. It's it's become so iconic. I brought it up, I think, believe in the last one. Like you see when, even when the Simpsons did the the parody of it, the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode, you don't even have to have watched Twin Peaks at all to understand that as a Twin Peaks reference. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yes. Le- are you talking about Lisa in the Red Room? Yeah, Lisa, the the burning suit. <laughs> Burns yep, his yep. suit. Burns his suit. Burns his suit. Check his suit. <laughs> and Wiggum just does not. <laughs> does not. I don't know. I'm not following. <laughs> God, those were great years of The Simpsons, man. I... <laughs> <laughs> they really were. They that was like when the Simpson was on was was on fire. But um, so it opens with Cooper being Cooper, ordering food, and Audrey shows up, and um, there is such a chemistry between Cooper and um, Audrey uh, in this um, in, in in the in this in the first season especially. There was something going on, I think, between Kyle MacLachlan and Cheryl and Flynn, um, or at least some kind of mutual attraction, because it is very obvious. It's palpable. Uh, you can you sense it. You can feel it. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, these are two very attractive people in mm-hmm. a very in a TV show together. Uh, I mean, they have kind of said nothing has ever happened, but I you you take that shit with a grain of salt, just because it's just they don't. It's their private lives. It's not really any of our business. We know Kyle eventually dated Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, which would derail de- <laughs> derail the show. Yeah, and give us Annie as a love interest. But we'll get into that when we do season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, yeah, these two are just Audrey doesn't have just fuck me eyes. She has like fuck me right now in a bathroom eyes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like we're at a yeah. This is like we're at a club and we're gonna go into the shitty bathroom, and you're gonna fuck me right now. Look, I mean, it is, it, it you you can really sense it. So I mean, I love the dynamic between those two because the, the the sparks and the fireworks are blatant between these two. 
Yeah. And so he's Cooper has Audrey sit with him because he got the note about one eyed Jacks in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows this is Audrey. He can this. She has the perfumes. He can sense that. Of all Cooper's, like he's very good at deducing uh, who people are having sex with and smells apparently, but he cannot uh, spot a one armed man in, right in front of him. No, no, you know, and this is this is okay. So you know, I have to bring this up because you had the you had the the Detroit Peaks Fire Walk with me, and I, uh, remind me of what what the agent's name in that one was again, uh, Agent Chris Isaac, uh, Chet Desmond, Chet Desmond. Chet Desmond, not that he was a better FBI agent, because he really wasn't, but he was more suited for the mystery that was Twin Peaks versus Kyle McLaughlin. Like, like if there was a murder of, like, you know, we think the husband or the wife or uh, or or whoever was, like, a, like, a, like, like, like the affair person was doing the killing, he would have nailed that in two minutes. He would have <laughs> walked in a room and been like, boom, she was fucking her. And that dude killed him because of the love triangle that was going on back in seventh grade. Peace out. I'm out, motherfuckers. But, <laughs> but in this particular thing, he's a little over his head. Yeah, it's and, you know, again, we're watching this with critical caps on, but it is. It's, it's a lot of funny, like seeing Cooper's shortfalls now that we're kind of paying more attention to this stuff. Uh, yeah. So but he he's also good at reading. uh deducing uh, handwriting samples because he has Audrey writer name. And then they have another, uh, I'll let you kind of talk. Like, what's he, what does he say about the curve? Oh no. Yeah. Your, your, your Audrey, your handwriting leans to the right. That indicates that you have a heart that yearns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's an FBI agent saying this to a high school girl. Let me just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, Let's repeat that. It's it's a high, it's a FBI agent saying that to a high school girl, um, and uh, then then you know, luckily to prevent him from getting statutory, um, the <laughs> the sheriff and and um, uh, Lucy show up, and he's like, um, "You got to go, Audrey. Uh, I got to hide my boner." Uh, <laughs> he definitely had a fear boner there. <laughs> he definitely had a fear boner. He's like, "I am gonna Gordon Cole's going to arrest me." Um, so, so, um, so then they come up and right away they're like, you know, you know, we need to talk, Cooper. Like, like, what's going on? And Joe, he he slows everything down to them and starts retconning his own dream. Trying to tell us about that. Yeah. So this was what stood out because we we see the dream originally in the international pilot where Bob is in the basement of the Palmer House. Blah blah blah. And then, you know, it's it's redone to make sense of Cooper's dream in the last episode. But he, so Harry and Lucy are there. They want to know who killed Laura Palmer because Cooper called Harry in the middle of the night saying, I know who killed Laura Palmer. And yes, it can wait. <laughs> Doesn't write it down, by the way. That's, so, so he describes his dream. And he's like, you were there and Lucy was there. And he's he's pointing out all these things that did not occurred in the last episode in the dream or in the international pilot uh yeah it was it was very i i kid it to wizard of oz and you were there harry and lucy was there no no they weren't no you guys weren't anywhere near there so as well here's a here's a theory uh was that dream that cooper had do you think that could have been the entire return because lucy's in that 
And she does shoot uh, Glenn Danzig Cooper. <laughs> he is Danzig in the return. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's a wonderful idea. Like, did they retcon it for that? I mean, the one-armed man is there. All this weird shit's going on. Was the return the full dream? That would be really cool. And we yeah. might have to discuss that more when we get to the return. I love that idea. Yeah, the only thing is Harry wouldn't have been there, but there is his brother was. Uh, but Robert Forrester? Yeah, Robert Forrester. <laughs> fucking. The guy who was originally supposed to play uh, Harry Truman, by the way. He was originally going to play Harry Truman in the show, Twin Peaks, but due to scheduling conflict, he couldn't do it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah that would awesome. Yeah, so we, you know, it's kind of cool that he came back to play a share of Truman in The Return. <laughs> That is phenomenal. I, I, I mean, as much as I love, um, um, Michael, um, Otkian, um, I, I never can pronounce his name right. Um, <laughs> and I think he did a great job as Sheriff Truman. Um, could you imagine later in the episodes when, uh, in, in the second season, especially when he's like drunk and in the bottle over, um, over Josie, how Robert Forster would have played that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it would be interesting, consider, you know, like Josie becomes a doorknob and <laughs> a wooden oh. doorknob, and that would probably cause Forster to drink even more just knowing the ridiculousness of that whole thing. Oh, but, I, do you think he would have stood for the bullshit in the second season? He would have said, fuck this, I'm out. I think Forrester was enough of an established actor. Uh, above everybody else in that show where he probably might have had a little more sway with that where he had just been, just kill my character off, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> right. So oh. Cooper recites the dream. Again, a lot of these things, he's like, a one-armed man calls me. Like, there's no phone call. He, the, what is Mike, Mike, he's uh, Bob's uh, partner in crime until he find, saw the face of God cuts his arm off and I had a tattoo that said fire walk with me. Cooper says this. It's not recited <laughs> in the dream. Uh, he does say he cuts his arm off. He says there's a tattoo. He doesn't say what the tattoo says. So like, I don't know if Cooper's filling in the blanks for us here or uh, he's just whatever. It's, it's confusing considering like it, he's relaying thing information that was not, information given to him from our point of view so it's kind of strange to me yeah and you know again <clears throat> they 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 retcon a lot of things right and there's things that you know didn't happen like you had mentioned earlier he got a phone call from the one our man that's not what happened you're in a goddamn boiler room dude <laughs> yeah. and like mike's not in the boiler room he has a vision of mike Right, right, right. No, and he I, recites the, the Fire Walk With Me poem, which is again, El Strobel, the fucking best. Like, he just, he kills it as the hammed up uh, shoe salesman in the next episode and the spooky apparition one-armed man here. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 and I will say again, okay, you got the one-armed man, uh, call me insensitive, but, I mean, he is one-armed when you see him. He is one-fucking-armed. It would have been hard for him to make a call with a rotary phone back in the day. I'm just saying that would not have been an easy task. Well, I mean, it, it, the funny thing, too, is uh, 
Hawk recognized him in the last episode. He's like, there was a one-armed man just kind of walking around. And then the pilot, he's in the elevator with Cooper and Harry, and they're just like not batting an eye. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not to be insensitive either, but a one-armed man's going to stand out to me, and I'm not an FBI man. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing. So they spotted him twice now, in the pilot and in this thing. So when we get to, when we get to episode five, I'm going to have problems. Um. So, um, but anyway, so Cooper recites the, tells him the dream. And, uh, so Harry's like, well, who killed her? And Cooper's like, I don't remember. So he's just wasting everybody's time. And he prefaces this by explaining where dreams come from. Uh, Cooper is just, uh, time is of the essence in a, in a murder. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But, and I do want to say this though. He does bring up the thing of. So they're like, you know, he's like, I, I don't. So they ask him at the end of all this. So who killed Laura Palmer? I don't remember. And they're like, damn, damn. And I love that scene. And where they both say that because Lucy's just copying um, Truman. But he's like, crack the code. My, my dream is a code. Crack the code. Solve the crime. And throughout the series. And I, we and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Joe. They subtly and i don't think it was all that subtly but i don't think the audience was understanding it things that appear in, in sentences and words that are said during the the rest of the season are played out and you hear them and they're kind of coaxing you along and like oh that if that's reference to the dream that's part of the code you know and i think the audience was somewhat lost on that and then they do it again in season two but they do it much more over the head yes it's much, it, it's subtle, but like, you know, if you're paying attention, you're picking up on these clues, but <clears throat> I don't know if it was, uh, the network was just like, you know, TV networks, and especially with regard to Twin Peaks, were, it was really a bunch of idiots. Uh, they forced the reveal. They, uh, you know, they eventually, they are so annoying that Mark Frost and Lynch eventually just walked away from the project. <laughs> like... Their notes, and I'm guessing some of the notes were like, yeah, these very obvious clues are just, you got to make them more obvious, <laughs> which Lynch's fuck you is, yeah, we're going to make it a literally, like, <laughs> as literal as possible that, like, you can't miss this. And we're going to have Cooper even say the clue as he sees it so you know <laughs> it is, you dummies. Right, right. Yeah. And that, and that was kind of, because again, you know, they in this episode, and we'll get to it. Um, you know, Jacoby, when they when they interview Jacoby, um, oh no, it's not this episode, it's the next episode. See, I got these two a little mixed up here. Um, but in these two episodes, um, he interviews Jacoby, and Jacoby says, Laura was filled with secrets. That's straight out of the dream. And that was supposed to be like a hook, like come on, guys, follow along. And I just I don't know how many people got it. I got it. Yeah, uh, I you got, got it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, we were eight years old, like, just hanging on every word of the show because it was nothing we had seen before. No, this this show was just, it blew my mind at a young age. And so, yeah, I'm hanging on to every word. You're hanging on to every word. May, I'm guessing other people weren't. And they're like, what What the hell? <laughs> Maybe. But uh, to move, get on to the next scene, Paul, Albert, Albert. I love Albert. Albert's Albert. the best. 
Albert's the best. Fuck Gene uh, Kelly, Albert. <laughs> Dude, so there's a fight over the morgue. So at this point, they're trying to do the postmortem, but the funeral's that day. And I do have some issues with this. And um, this is something that's bothered me. Uh, and it's funny. I'm going to bring something up because I watched a little bit of the X-Files last night trying to sleep. Um, where the FBI is there. They have full, you know, he's there to do this thing on the, on, on the postmortem. And he's fighting with Doc Hayward over doing the autopsy because the funeral is going to be that day. And, um, you know, they get called over, Cooper and um, uh, Truman get called over to get into the, you know, the, to stop the fight. And it escalates to Albert getting punched by the worst sucker punch in the world. I mean, yeah. a, a Rocky Four haymaker, like the fight scene between Drago and Rocky at the end where they're just throwing the whitest punches <laughs> imaginable. Uh, Albert somehow sucker punched by an even more obvious haymaker. Dude, it, it is. I mean, I describe it as a WWE punch. He winds up, cocks his fist like it's the Superman punch, and then comes in and hits him. And Albert's like, huh, <laughs> small town sucker punch. No, it's not a small town sucker punch. You had a giant window. You had a giant window to avoid that. And here's, um, you know, they kind of make Albert seem the asshole here, but he is absolutely right. The funeral can be held anytime, but he needs all the information he can so they can solve this murder. A hundred percent correct. He's just not very polite about it. <laughs> right, right. Because this is my whole thing. I mean, you have a small town. It's a murder. I mean, I, again, we were dealing with Jacob Wetterling at the time. If Jacob's Wetterling, Jacob Wetterling's body had been found, guaranteed the the Wetterling family would have been like, do whatever you need to do. We will do a closed casket corpse uh, funeral whenever. You know, we had FBI in town. They would have been like, take weeks with the body if you need to. We want to know who and what happened to our kid. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's it's kind of strange, you know. You you kind of it, for a TV show, it's it's got to create this tension, and it's weird, you know. Like we're looking at this with critical hats. I'm like, well, I don't really mind this when I'm just casually watching, re, doing my annual rewatch of Twin Peaks. But yeah, it's it's kind of weird. And why is Ben Horn there? Uh, yeah, why I don't know because he represents the town, um, the the very town that he's been fucking. And trying to... Well, not um, even just the town. There's... <laughs> I mean, Doc Hayward's the cock of Ben, ben Horn. Oh, my God. Yes, they are. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's ridiculous. What do you think about it? Sorry, you're going to hear a soda open up. I got to get a drink. Yeah, I'm go. packing sodas, too, because it's... <laughs> yeah. So, and so, I, I, I will bring this up because I saw this uh, on the pilot episode of, of X-Files last night, which we talked about would not have happened without Twin Peaks and actually watching the pilot it is there is so much Twin Peaks I wouldn't even call it homage I mean it feels directly ripped off yeah and, but Chris I believe Chris Carter doesn't even hide it he says his number one influence like he saw Twin Peaks and that's where oh we can do this <laughs> mm -hmm. so in that episode um, it's, it's, it's the episode where the kid is being, where the kids are being abducted by aliens and, um, they find this alien corpse. Well, they're going out, they see this bright light in the middle of the woods and, um, Scully and Mulder run up 
and there's a shift. There's like, you're on private property. You go, you come here, you're going to be arrested. And they're like, we're FBI agents. I don't care who you are. I'm going to arrest you. What? No, that's not how it works. That's not how jurisdiction <laughs> works, guys. And I was just, you know, I was thinking about this scene as I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, that's not how jurisdiction works. So, <laughs> so it ends with him getting getting punched and Cooper, you know, and um, you know, siding with 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 them and going like, get me whatever findings you have and let's get the funeral on. Yes, and so after this. Uh... We get a sneak peek into the meta show, Invitation to Love. Invitation which is, uh, it, to love. It mirrors uh, what's going on in the show. It, uh, it does, uh, you, we talked about this before, it, it even spoils some of the things. Mm-hmm. But it's but what it's doing here is like, it shows the opening credits and it shows an actress playing two different characters. And right after this, Maddie Ferguson shows up, played by yeah. Cheryl Lee. Yep, and who is the cousin that looks exactly like Laura Palmer? Yeah, again, a broad hint. That's my cousin. Doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? The little man said this. Right, right. And this is this is those clues. This is those things. This is what they. This is what they do. And um, um. I, I want to bring up the meta because this is before meta was a big thing. Meta to now is like, okay, everything's meta. Nothing was this meta ever. And I liked the idea of, of the whole invitation to love. However, um, Frost and Lynch did not, Joe. This is what, of what you were telling me. Yeah, they were, uh, they, they, I think they saw it as like, trying to be too clever with a show that's already pretty well written and clever enough. Uh, I mean, it doesn't come back after the first season. It's just, uh, I think they just, they didn't care for it. Uh, I think it was probably a decision made by the people who are making the show after they, because they're, they were hands on, but like you're, there weren't like showrunners like we know of today who are like overlooking every aspect. Like they put the wheels in motion. Here's our game plan for the season guys do what you need to do yep and so they got this invitation to love and they just didn't like it i uh, i think it, it it's funny too because like the the opening credits for invitation to love is on uh blue velvet <laughs> looking <laughs> just like the title card from the movie blue velvet so mm-hmm. i think it was a little too on the nose for those two yeah i i think i think lynch maybe wasn't very appreciative of it and, and that's another thing to bring up here is that this was, and I think still is fairly common for a lot of shows, is that <clears throat> they're not written um, by the same people. Um, the one show that comes to mind um, that was, and I loved it for it, was Babylon 5. It was written and directed um, by the same person, um, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. I mean, um, he had an entire storyboard for all five seasons, and if anyone left the show, he had what he called trapdoors to move the plot along and if someone were to go, I mean, it was really um, uh, uh, meticulous. Um, but that was so rare. And, and even to these days, it's so rare for a show to be plan- planned out that far ahead. Yeah. And I think for I, comedy, the closest would probably be Arrested Development in which they had the same writers and they kind of had to with a show like that where it's always referencing itself 
to like it's meta, it's good, and it's but they had to keep the same writers and Mitch Hurwitz just because you start introducing new people and trying to add new things. It it shows like that you got to keep it consistent. And I think like Babylon Five, like you said, kind of set the tone. Like let's just keep the same people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> doing Absolutely. this. Keep it consistent because you know, like with X Files, you have different people coming in. A lot of times it works, uh, and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, with something like Twin Peaks, where there's a, it feels more like a movie than a, a, a procedural. Yes, and that was something else that was different. Procedurals were, were also very rare at the time. A lot of things were they keep little things, but storylines were kind of you know different. Procedurals were not very common in 1990 outside of soap operas and this really proved that you could do it with other things in terms of of of, of television um so we've gone way off the path here uh, <laughs> um so yeah so maddie shows up and it is it is the same actress um and she has black hair and glasses um the try and make her you know not different but definitely i mean if, if i saw that cousin i'd be like I'd be looking at Leland going, what did you do, dude? Yeah. Um, uh, she's, uh, this is a nod to Lynch's, one of his favorite movies, Sunset Boulevard, where an actress plays two different roles. Lynch loves film noir. I love film noir. I love these little nods to it. Uh, if there was going to be a season three with this run, Cheryl, he was going to come back as uh, another person <laughs> with red hair. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so tell me about that. He was going to bring her. So was he going to uh, get? Was he just going to offer every season? Was that going to be the idea that 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 Cheryl Lynn was just going to die every like that was going to be the running theme? <laughs> I I hope so. Uh, I've I read the thing with Frost where they kind of asked him about it, and he said it was the it was an idea that they were shoot, spitballing around, but like they kind of knew there wasn't going to be a season three, but they they wanted to have a game plan in place with ideas. And that was one of the ideas, but eventually, you know, as we know, season three doesn't come for another 25, 26 years. Uh, Cheryl Lee does return for it, but she doesn't wear a red wig. Uh, Right. (laughs) She should have. She should have. And, you know, so, yeah, so she she introduces herself to Leland. And then we get to... um, The... um, it's, It's Bobby... And it's his dad. Uh, no, it's it's Bobby, and he's at in front of the, the in the church. And that's a really cool framing shot. Wouldn't you agree, Joe? Yeah, it's like a reverse crucifixion in a sense. Like his arms are low, but it you, it shows like you know he's going through this struggle. It's not just the struggle of you know his yeah his girl coked up girlfriend was just raped and murdered, but Bobby, as we know, killed a cop. <laughs> <laughs> He did. He he kills a cop. Bobby's not a good dude, and yet we're gonna find out just what a whiny bitch he is in a little bit here. It's a weird character, isn't it? Do they? Do you think? Do you, I. What is that? He killed a cop, and then and he becomes a cop. Mm-hmm. He becomes a cop. You know, I I kind of feel like they 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 mix the James and the Bobby character in in in, in the return a little bit. Like really, that should have been James, maybe. But then they have the funeral, and here's the thing. The guy that kills the cop has by far the best scene in this episode and is absolutely right as he calls everyone out at the funeral. Yeah, he's 
we let her die. We all knew she was in trouble and we didn't do anything to help her. And I think this is like one of those things like, yeah, every small community, there's the, the problematic person, the person we see, pre- the person in your community is having a lot of trouble and you don't do anything. And then it's too late when something terrible happens. Like this is just something I, we, you just see, uh, you, you can't, you don't re- until you start reflecting on it. It's uh yeah, we've had friends in high school who went down paths and we probably could have did more, but we didn't. But just, we didn't. That, We're all guilty why. of it. Yeah. It's just, it's just part of life. It's part of learning and growing and all that. And, 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 and what he says, you know, he calls everyone, you knew, yeah, you knew she was in trouble. No one helped her. Everyone looked the other way. And he's 100% right to be angry and go off on everyone. And then James Hurley, who was supposedly in love with her, shows up late like a jackass to the fucking funeral and oh. starts a fight with him. Yeah, fucking goddamn James. Like, again, this is nothing to do with James Marshall. This is just a lot of this spite we have is from the nonsense that comes in season two. But I, I'm just, it's like a Pavlovian thing where I see James and I just get upset. Uh, I mean, when we were, because we, you and I would live watch The Return when it aired. Uh, and we'd be messing each, messaging each other. And when James comes into the roadhouse and starts singing just you and I, I had to get up and take a walk because <laughs> I was so pissed off. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. And again, you know what? I, I, I hate on him, but it's not his fault. We'll get to that when it actually happens. But then they do it again in the return. But yeah, I mean, part of it with James really is the writing because, I, you know, we're going to learn more about James in these in this in these in these episodes, but he really was like a poorly written character. They could have done a lot more with him. He was kind of the dark horse. He rode the motorcycle. You know, he was kind of doing his own investigation with Donna. They could have done more to make him interesting. And instead they make him insufferable. Yeah. And it felt like they're kind of building him up as like a James Dean type character, especially in the pilot. You know, he's like the rebel, but with the heart of gold type of thing. I think that's what they're going for. And they just, they just, forgot about that mm-hmm. <laughs> or something but yeah james shows up late to his girlfriend's funeral picks a fight we get like this weird lynchian slow motion fight and audio which i mean when you're tr- just people just don't try to emulate lynch it it, it never works because he does it for a reason and you're just doing it just hey we don't want to have a lynchian thing in this episode yet let's add this <laughs> Uh, agree. That's it. Was a really undeserving place for it. And then we get Leland freaking out from all this. <laughs> yeah, he jumps on the coffin, and then the the me- the mechanism that's lowering it starts bobbing up and down. Which, uh, after seeing Fire Walk with Me, has a whole other new connotation for me with Leland on top of his daughter. A little bit. A little uh, bit. But he's crying, and, you know, you feel bad. <laughs> Sarah's screaming, like, you're ruining this, Leland! But, yeah. like, knowing, like, who they really are after the return, it's like, well, Bob and Judy are having an art spat. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at, at the funeral. Um, and, yeah, I, I just, you know, so, and then it, uh, I, you know, and it's, and it's hard, it's a really, honestly, a heartbreaking scene. It is. And, uh, Ray Wise know, does an excellent job as a grieving father in this 
he is he i mean i love ray rice he's another one of those guys where if i find out he's in a movie i watch it um he is just so good at at playing um emotions and characters and being subtle and his range is really is zero to a hundred without being out of control when he's at a hundred it's still believable um but the thing that bothers me about this is is the very next scene it cuts to shelly talking to two um two truckers making fun she's got like her hands out and she's like emulating like him walking and then falling and then the the thing going up and down with her hands okay joe when we were kids and there was the 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 the, the abduction of of uh, Jacob Wetterling. Our parents were gossiping about who could have done it. Like it was the talk of the town. Yeah, and the thing, the scary thing when you're a little kid is uh, when parents are talking. Uh, it has, it, especially at that age, it has a little more agency. Uh, you kind of take it as truth. I don't think they knew that they were terrifying us with their theories because, like. To them, it's bullshit. To us, like, oh my god, this is what really happened, you know? So that's that's terrifying because they're kind of spitballing and whatever, shooting the shit with their friends, like we do. But like for us, we're hearing this, like, oh god, like, uh, like we you were saying, oh, your dad was like the guy down the road did it. Yeah, my dad was a ridiculous alcoholic, notorious alcoholic, and um, I don't even hide it from him. And um, or I hide about it. Everyone knew. Everyone who knew who knew my old man <laughs> knew that guy was a drunk. Um, but the thing is, is that yeah, he's sitting around one day with the neighbors, and he's wasted. And I'm eight years old, and he's in the kitchen. And he goes, "I remember it was the guy that used to live behind the behind the house here. He was weird. He 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 did weird shit in the backyard." And I'm going, "Oh my god, I live next to a killer," but. No one is talking about Laura, who killed Laura Palmer in this town. They're doing all their fucking C, D, E grade you know, bullshit. Nobody cares. And th- what they're going to gossip about is the old man crying on the on the casket. That's, you know, these are some horrible people in this town. Yeah, it's just, uh, I feel bad for Shelly because she's in that relationship with Leo. But and we'll get to it when we watch The Return, but she says... James has always been cool. I fucking hate Shelly now. <laughs> I, I do too. I do too. And it's not even this scene. It was her saying James was always cool. This just makes it worse for me. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. She has a mean streak. She has a mean streak in her for this one. Yeah. And, and um, um, so, yeah. So that's happening. And um, we kind of learn about fucking Hank at this point. Oh, right? Hank, Hank Jennings who threw the big football game in the secret history of Twin Peaks. He's a, yeah, he's a con. This is, now we're going into like, this is the CD plot of uh, the mill. And I think we should, I think we should just at this point hammer out these, these, these CDE plots. Do you agree? Yeah. So basically Hank's on parole. He, for manslaughter. And Hank is who? Hank is, is, is the wife, uh, is the husband of Norma. Norma, it's Norma's husband. Uh, yep. We kind of get hear about the parole hearing because she's having talking with the lawyer or whatever, who's like hitting on her. <laughs> Might yeah. I add? Like, yeah, the lawyer's hitting like, on her. Yeah, like I'm sorry, lawyer. Uh, you, Hank gets out and he catches wind. He's killed a guy. He's of ill repute. Uh, he carries a domino for some reason. <laughs> Around you know, in, in prison. In the prison, Joe. In the prison, 
And yes. he, he licks and sucks on the fucking thing. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's victim number one for Voldemort here. <laughs> Voldemort. And you, when you, by the way, um, if you don't know, we're not going to, we're not going to tell you what Voldemort is, but we're going to say that you should really listen to the next cast that movie podcast because we have a special guest, AKA this fucking guy, Joe. And we talk about, and if you want to know what Voldemort is, we'll explain it in that podcast. But yeah, he would be victim number one. And again, in a quarantine and watching this, fucking gross. Yes, it's uh, Hank is a he's a doofus too. He's uh, I mean these this is when the show starts expanding the cast, which I don't think it needed to do. Uh, and it's expanding on this deep this whole mill thing, and it gets so convoluted. Basically, you know. Ben Horn wants to buy the mill and develop Ghostwood. This is property he nor Catherine Martell own. Thus, we'll keep calling it the worst business <laughs> It is. Oh, my God. This is so bad. And it goes on for both episodes where they're in this hotel and they're talking about the things they're going to do. And, you know, again, it. When you look at the secret history of Twin Peaks, these are the two big families that the big money makers, the mill owner and the and the lodge owner, and yeah. and this is they 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 inherited they're you know they're from old money, old Twin Peaks money, and my God, how do they keep it? <laughs> well, like, I mean, uh, we uh, Ben Horn just drops a thousand dollar poker chip when he's with uh, Catherine at the hotel, and she gets jealous for some reason. Like this dude's. Come on, he's married. Uh, he made a cuck out of poor, poor old uh, Doc Haywood. Like, there's no reason to get jealous. Like, you know what you're getting into with Ben Horn. Uh, yeah, this stuff is. So they're gonna want to buy this property. And what's baffling? Uh, I'm just gonna say it now. It's in the next episode, or it might have been in this episode. I don't remember. I think it's in the next episode. There's a flyer for the Stop Ghostwood project. This is a secret project nobody's supposed to know about, but yet there's flyers up protesting it. And again, we could talk about both of these things because I think we just really need to get through like both episodes of the of the of the of the of these plot lines. But yes, yes, this is okay. This is a secret plot that they flew an entire fucking country in for. Um, yes, and, and um and uh, the 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 Norwegians, and it was a classroom essentially filled. With all these people that are going to sign off on this project, no one's supposed to know about this project, but it's not a very good kept secret. Nobody's done anything. I mean, and again, you got an FBI guy snooping around on this thing, and you have Stop Ghostwood. Do you not think Cooper should ask, what is Ghostwood? That's a weird name for something, and why the fuck is it called Ghostwood? Yeah, he's all he's concerned about the trees and the pilot. What are these Doug, you know, the Douglas firs? Douglas Ghostwood Fir. doesn't. <laughs> You know, like, oh, this, and so this is going on. Hank's involved. Uh, it gets more into season two. It's just stupid, but he's part of this whole mill thing. He's working for, I believe it's Catherine. Uh, ben hires Leo to burn the mill down. Let's talk about when they meet. Let's talk about when they meet, please. Can we talk about when they meet? Yes. Uh, so <laughs> Leo criminal mastermind who can't find his bloody shirt in all his house, even though Shelly's hiding it in the most obvious cupboards. Uh, 
drives his cherry red, fire red Corvette to a secret meeting with the town billionaire. <laughs> In the middle of the night. Not far from, 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 from the mill where they're going to burn down, right? Like, we, we <laughs> see that spot a couple of times. It's not that far from the mill. No, and uh, Leo, this is actually, I like Leo's, he's not a likable character. But he does have, like, some moments where he's generally funny. And with, so they're making the plans. And then we'll get into it here when we start talking about the Bookhouse Boys. But we're just kind of speeding along these plots that we don't really give a shit about. Uh, so he has a body with him. Is Bernard Renault. Yes. Uh, he's, uh, whatever. And Leo's just sitting there smoking a cigarette. And Ben's like, is that a body? He's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I told him if he ever ratted on me, I'd kill him. Uh, so, <laughs> he, did he rat on you? No, but he shouldn't have listened to me anyway. Yeah, he, he shouldn't have trusted me anyway, and he just says it so flippant. It's just, I'm laughing <laughs> Eric to raise up delivery of that line. <laughs> and then again, it goes to show just how bad, just how bad Ben Horn is with his business deals, because right then there, I've been like, okay, I'm going to find someone different, right? Or- yeah, this dude's just standing here with this bright red car with a dead body two feet away from his feet. For their secret meeting. For their secret... Like, everything would go up if they felt... Could you imagine if they're like, hey, bright red Corvette, where's that going? Because what we didn't talk about was, you know, um, and what's going to come up is that bright red Corvette is a big deal, and there's... The only one that has a red, cor- bright red Corvette is fucking Leo. Holy <laughs> shit, these guys! I, I I love it. I fucking love it. So, um, what we, 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 we should probably jump back real quick just so we can say so the the the, the Renaults, Bernard. Who is Bernard Renault? Um, the the Renaults are a drug family in, in Canada, Joe. Um. Yeah, they're small time. Like, they play it up here as big time, but, like, secret history kind of points out, like, you know, they, these are just kind of local schmucks. But you and I are from, like, a smaller area, too, where, yeah, everybody knows who the drug dealers are. And they, yeah, they're menacing, but, like, the show plays them up as, like, kingpins when they're really just small time idiots. Mm-hmm. So um, what happened was was that yeah there was a there was a uh, uh, well let, let, let's move on well let's let's keep going with these with these B and C plots here so um, yeah so fucking that's all going on and then meanwhile so Hank is should we talk about Hank's parole or I, I, he gets paroled uh, fucking uh, his wife gives uh, you know. It's it's the worst parole hearing because he expresses no guilt or remorse or anything. He's just like, ah, fate handed me a bad deal. Like, no, you ran over a guy and killed him, dude. Like, right, and, I, and I love that. I, I love how the, how the how the hearing board's like, fate didn't didn't give you involuntary manslaughter. You know, I'll t- I'll, I'll, I'll take that, but it did put me here so I could learn about my mistakes. You yeah. fuck face. Yeah, there's no way he's getting paroled. Like, I think uh, you. You and I discussed this briefly, but we've seen Charles Manson give a better parole. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's on the par of like of a Charles Manson parole here uh, uh, parole hearing. Like there is obviously no empathy or remorse from this guy. There's no way he would have gotten out. And Norma, all she had to do too is be like, "Fuck it, you, you, do you see this guy? I don't fucking want to deal with him." But instead, she's like, "Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll give him a job." And that apparently him getting a job to get out of jail was enough. Like apparently the the taxpayer money was enough 
all right, well, well, put him out in there. We'll get his, we'll get our taxes. We'll pay for the time he was in jail. Fuck that. Not happening. He wasn't getting out. Yeah, and then the re- the other part of this. Okay, so then at the end of episode five, Joe, we find out Hank's connected to Josie. He he has the amazing ability. Like if Cooper can deduce who people are having sex with, Hank has the ability of knowing people are opening their mail because he calls right after Josie opens up a letter from the jail of a, a sketch of his domino, and he calls her up in the middle of the night, which. What prison is he at where he can just make phone calls whenever he wants? It's right. It's like I said, this is um, um, this is beyond minimum. I, I had a friend of mine that was in minimum security prison and there's no way like this is white collar. Like this is white collar prison is what he's allowed to do. He's a call this person. And it is very convenient. Then the middle of the night, she opens it and she gets the domino. And the first thing he says to her, did you get my letter? Oh, that's so soap opera, soap opera bullshit. It's so bad. It's so bad writing. It's so bad writing. Yeah, but we're going to put this on the record that Hank has a Cooper-esque ability of deducing when people are opening their mail. He just knows. <laughs> we don't know why, but he just knows when you're opening your, your heating bill. And he'll call you and ask you about it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we have the oh, other ahead. set of cook, the cookbooks that we kind of brought up last episode which makes no sense you will have, you know you know more about business and all that and sales uh why would you have cookbooks of a mill it it does there's no board of directors that you're trying to trick it's josie's the sole owner of the packard mill <laughs> And 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 and, he, and here's the thing. I, again, I, I we talked about it briefly. And the other thing, the cookbook thing doesn't make any sense because all he's doing is really fucking himself. Um, <laughs> and and because he wants to buy it, and the whole idea of the cookbook is to make it look like the mill's doing better than it actually is. But that hurts the sale because it's, it's it doesn't make any sense. Like it, it really, when you try to deduce the thing, it hurts my brain. When I go, why do we have this cookbook? But it's a, but apparently it's it was needed. But their plan is to burn the mill down. So like it's, he just wants the proper. He's not even buying the mill because the mill is going to go away anyway. So why cook the books of something you're just going to get rid of, or even burn it down? Because like Josie will just get the insurance money and probably just sell the property off to Ben. Uh, these cookbooks have nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> right. Right, right. It doesn't it just, raise the property value in any way. <laughs> no, no. Um, it's it doesn't, and that's that's the weird thing. So I don't understand the whole purpose of that, and that's that's going over my head. Um, so yeah, they're still doing their thing there. It's then, a, uh, I mean, these two see these two episodes are heavily on Ben and Catherine. Yeah, and uh, I, the last uh, thread here is Big Ed and Nadine. Uh, Nadine, uh, they're, they're going to be rich. The Nadine's happy because I believe they bumped some uglies the night before. Uh, I just, uh, I just kind of want to bring it up because I, I don't think we did in the last episodes that Big Ed and Nadine are also like the creepy, uh, parents and the people under the stairs. (laughs) Very much so. They're like the same actor, like they're a couple, uh, if you've never seen people under the stairs and you're a Twin Peaks fan, check it out. It's it's one of Wes Craven's Stranger movies. 
it's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. I went, um, it's yeah. Uh, I recommend seeing it just to say you saw it. Yeah. So yeah, they're, uh, the potential for profits off these, uh, no noise <laughs> curtain rods or whatever. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. These plots were just ridiculous. So now we're, we're going to get back into the meat and potatoes of what Paul and I like. And we meet the book house boys. The Bookhouse Boys, The Secret Society. Yes, it's uh, been going on for generations. Uh, they basically, uh, a vigilante group made up of the locals that are like, you know, uh, we bring up dualism as a, a big thing in Lynch's work. The Bookhouse Boys are, would be the lighter side uh, to fend off the darker side. And we get a little hint that they know something's up in these woods. Uh they don't know about the lodges or well hawk knows about the lodges he doesn't tell anybody because uh they would probably think he's fucking nuts <laughs> so but yes it is it is brought up later that he that, that he knows the lodges and never brings it up in all this time yeah but i mean to be fair like if you're sitting there like in the book house like you know reading drinking coffee and somebody's like you know there's this lodge and it has chevrons on the floor, and like there's a little man who talks backward. Like you're gonna be like, this guy's fucking nuts. Like, <laughs> get him out of this bookhouse. <laughs> so, this is true. So is yeah, true. but we were introduced because uh, uh, Harry wants to show off his new new trick that he knows of Cooper's <laughs> amazing ability to know who's banging who. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that so, R double R. And Paul, go yeah. On. So they, um, you know, they're they're getting pie, and so Norma comes up and brings, you know, brings in the pie and walks away. And Cooper looks at uh, um, uh, Big Ed and goes, "So how long have you and Norma been together?" And like they all had a bet, like, "Oh, Cooper's gonna know it. Cooper's gonna know it." And this is he catches it right away. There is nothing there, and he catches it right away using that that sixth sense that he could have. That is. Not needed for this fucking case. <laughs> yes. But it, uh, they do gain... Uh, they trust Cooper enough. Like, he's a good enough of a... He's like an, a good enough soul or whatever that they trust him. The, the show explained their secret society. And like I said, they hint at the darkness in the woods. But they also, uh, you know, when Harry needs help with cases, they... You know, they help out by staking out things and all that. Kind of helping, like, kind of like a volunteer firefighter crew, in a sense, that they're volunteering their time just kind of help each other out. Uh, and uh, so they bring uh, Cooper to their, their book house, where they have Bernard held captive. So... You're bringing a G-man to a felony. <laughs> ridiculous yes so they had raided the double uh i mean the, the roadhouse which is basically run um by by the Renaults. um canadians running an american bar or united states bar <laughs> which which has some legal implications again I, i'm sure there's paperwork involved things like that but it does beg the question of it can they be doing this and can Jock just be rocking across the border whenever he wants to run his bar? Um, and they have a thing rigged up that when they're getting raided, it's a flashing red light. So Jacques, so Jacques saw this 
and runs off and calls Leo and makes Leo bail him out. And um, meanwhile, the fucking felony is occurring. And Cooper goes along with this. Now, my question is, how did they could never let him go? How did Leo find him? How did he get to Leo? Because there's no way you can ever let this guy go. They, oh, the thing is, they can't keep holding him. That you're impl- implementing the federal <laughs> government now. Like, I'm sure Cooper's probably like, you guys gotta let this guy go. Like, we got the information from him. Like, he's not gonna say anything. He's a scared Canadian. Uh, so, like, just let him run off. And I'm sure his first thing. I don't know why Bernard would go to Leo, as Leo flippantly says, he shouldn't have trusted him. I don't know. He shouldn't have trusted me in the first place. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm guessing he went. To, he beelined to Leo as he's kind of like their America, or the United States uh, point person. I imagine for the Renaults is Leo. That's a bad point person to have. Yeah. Well, I mean, like they also have the the Deer Creek Police Department <laughs> fire walk with me. So, oh God. They're not really good at picking their their allies. Uh, uh no, not very much. So. Uh, yeah, so they, they question him. He denies anything. He denies everything. They didn't scare him. They didn't do anything. So I don't know how they let him go. Um, so at this point, um, it cuts to uh, Leo getting the phone call. Um, and uh, before I get that, I do want to explain a little bit more what I, what I think about the Bookhouse Boys because the secret history goes into it quite a bit. This is a group that's been around forever, and it seems like their history was lost a little bit about what the thing was because they do kind of hint a little bit that the Bookhouse Boys – knew more in the secret history than than this current generation does. Would you agree with that, Joe? Yeah, and uh, yeah, the the secret history, like, you know, these guys, I mean, that's where the archivist gets a, a lot of this information, I believe, is what he finds in the book house for, like, at least what's going on with the town at that point. Uh, fun fact is uh, Hank Jennings was kicked out of the book house, boys, for throwing that. <laughs> High school football game for the Renaults, which is like, dear God, why why are you adding to this? Well, <laughs> and, like, and again, this is this is the same bookhouse boys that will fucking commit a felony with a G-man. <laughs> but throw a football game for the Renaults and you're out, Mister. <laughs> yeah, but you hold him, you hold that foreign citizen captive illegally. Oh shit! I didn't even think about the fucking the 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 international in, uh, implications oh. of this. Oh shit! Yeah, there's so <laughs> many laws broken right now. Fucking James and his buddy, the one that we see in the pilot, he shows up here and we'll never see him again. Right, I was kind of excited. I'm like, oh, he's back. Oh, no, he's not. Um, so, so yeah. So then it cuts to you know, Leo freaking out, and we find out that uh, that Shelly has a gun, and um, and a fetish uh, guns, <laughs> and a fetish guns. Which yes, we'll find out. Uh, uh, and then and then the episode ends with um, um, uh, about dancing. the yeah. It ends with Leland dancing and. I'm going to let you talk about that and your thoughts on Leland dancing. Yeah. Well, we talked about it and like, uh, I was kind of confused why it's always with get happy and you pointed out and you made a really good point. It's like, it's more, I think it, you thought it was more about music in the air where they come from. And yes. That's the little man dances, which is a, a huge connection. If you think about it, uh, what eventually the reveal is, is, you know, Leland is acting like a lodge entity. 
Right. So, yeah, because he, he always acts crazy when music's around. And one of the things, the clues is, you know, there's all, um, uh, where, where we're from, there's always music in the air. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away. We've already hinted at it. I think it's several of these podcasts and people that know it know. But when we get the reveal, even though there was never supposed to be a reveal, I do feel like that Lynch really felt that this was going to be like you ever came back and said, who did it? I told you who did it through the clues. You just have to watch the show and find out. Yeah, uh, they both, Lynch and Frost said when they set out to, when they're writing the show, they had to know who the killer was. Mm -hmm. They can't be like, that's a lot of the things like, like Lost when that show was on. They, they they had like two seasons where it's just kind of, it's it's fumbling because they don't know what the mystery is. Uh, Twin Peaks got ahead of that by they know who the killer is, but they're just never going to reveal it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to know, and again, all signs point to to who the killer is. Um, so then, in episode four, that opens up with them doing the sketch. Yes, and this is now because a lot of this is, we're doing the backdrop of the Wetterling case. Because this happened at the same time as this was going on in our small town. Uh, the sketch is one. It's it's frightening. Like <laughs> I've tempted, I've thought about buying posters of it, but I think I would actually be afraid to see that every day in my house. Of Bob. <laughs> uh, agreed. Agreed. Hundred percent. Uh, around this, you know, like six months before, like we're getting three sketches of who eventually of uh, the suspect of who kidnapped Jacob Wetterling. And the thing is like these sketches that, you know, they're pretty, they have to be pretty broad because eyewitness accounts on things are not very reliable. Uh, They just, people have their own internal biases. They'll see things the way they see it. That's why a lot of times, like unless they, a witness sees a crime actually happening, uh, eyewitness accounts are just, they're not, they're taken with a grain of salt within a lot of, investigations just like a potential suspect just it's there's just too biased there's too many variables going in people remember things differently it's not like tv where you know <laughs> the eyewitness account of a guy running out well it can't yeah that was it no it's like they kind of like that kind of looks like the guy i'm not sure because people always second guess themselves but we get in these creepy sketches <laughs> in saint cloud of eventually you know it hindsight's always 2020 uh the guy who did the crime looks a lot like these goddamn sketches right and 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 here's the thing i want to bring up on that is that sketches are ambiguous they're not a photo they're not a photograph not things that so you have eight-year-old you know and there's about three of them out um at the time and you know I mean, I remember being a kid and going to the mall with my mom and going places and, you know, having this image of the sketch of the, of the Jacob Wetterling and being able to pick out a hundred adults that look like that guy. And, you know, it was very scary. Now, this particular sketch of Bob is terrifying. Like he looks like a werewolf. It is. And, and, and the thing is, is that we had talked about this a little bit. You get so little of actual Bob that that picture becomes synonymous with Bob and whoever drew it and did it was brilliant because it is really terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's scary. Like I had nightmares of Bob, like we, you and I, we, we don't make, you know, we don't hide the fact that Bob scared the shit out of us growing up. Like I had nightmares about Bob. Uh, 
you know, it's just your kid, you have a wild imagination, especially when, you know, like you see a scene where he's like in a basement area, like from the international pilots, like, Oh my God, that looks like my basement is Bob fucking down there. You, you're just a kid. Your, your imagination goes wild. Bob is scary. And I feel bad. Cause like by all accounts, Frank Silva was like the nicest guy. In the world. He was, he was, um, he was, he, 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 he I think we said it earlier, he took his mom to like, to the awards. He was the nicest guy. Yeah, and so, but he plays, I mean, it's just, it's creepy. You, he, it's like the way he shot, and we don't get a lot of him. We don't get a lot of Bob, like, throughout the whole series. There's just not a lot of him. And what we, the little we do get is so fucking terrifying <laughs> in reflections and mirrors. It's like, oh, my God, during the reveal, like, I'm not going to say the name because we'll get to it, but when you see Bob reflecting back, my, I had nightmares for you. I still have nightmares about stuff like that. <laughs> right. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, I, I guess um, it is absolutely terrifying. And so what I, what, the one thing that kind of confused me, though, um, was that, you know, why do they, I mean, they won't really explain why they went to her to get the vision, the, like, and how it does, like, like exactly why they're there to get the vision of her. And in the pilot and later, Hawk's the one that did it, but Andy's the one that's drawing it. Weird. I, I don't uh, retcon. This is, again, that, that continuity that gets lost. But the most glaring thing is Leland makes fun of her. Yeah, he's in a ba- his bathrobe. Uh, <laughs> just looking like shit. <laughs> oh, he like... looks like total ass. And he's just like he's mocking his wife, who's had these very terrifying visions. Like Leon has no leg to stand on him for mocking somebody for having like an episode like this when he just got like kicked out of his daughter's post funeral wake thing for dancing and crying nonstop. <laughs> like, dude, take a look in the mirror, dude. Right, right, right. And he's like, she had two visions. Tell her about the. I tell her about the. Tell him about the necklace, and she's like, "Leland, Leland, why do you hate me?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the other vision is she saw Jacoby taking the the necklace, and uh, Donna's there for some reason. Yeah, why <laughs> is she allowed at this? Why Why is Donna sitting on the couch hanging out? Like again, this is like Ben Horn being at the <laughs> at the hunt. Like, people just randomly are allowed to just show up to things. Yeah. So. But now Donna's like, oh, God, like Sarah saw this, like, is the necklace still there? So she and James go try to find it. Uh, It's gone. Like Sarah's vision is a real vision. She's seeing these things. And uh, yeah. (laughs) So. Yep. Yep. And and what then what happens is afterwards they take the the sketch to, to Cooper and Cooper's like, Yep, this is the man I saw in my dream. I figured our, our my dream and her vision were related, but I didn't want to influence her. This is our guy. This is the guy we're looking for. Yes. <laughs> now, the crazy thing is, nobody's seen this guy in the fucking, like, you haven't seen him in the town. Why isn't he on the phone with Gordon Cole having this APB put out everywhere? I mean, it wouldn't have mattered, but what the fuck? Uh... Because, Paul, this is a Blue Rose case. Oh, that's right. All right. Yep, fair enough. Fair enough. And we'll get into the Blue Rose later. Convenience. Yes. <laughs> Even though we did, when they're writing the show, this these 
first season, I doubt Blue Rose was even a thing. But, hey, convenience. Convenience. It is what it is. So, we also have, uh, you know, what... I'm going to skip over the invitation to love part here too, but it oh, shows oh. up in every episode and uh, I don't want to get bogged down on it. Lucy does like, she dro- drops like the whole plot of the show on uh, Harry when he gets into work. It's a, fu- a little funny scene, but uh, Cooper is interviewing Jacoby. Yes. And what does Jacoby say? She was full of secrets. And well, he's also being, he's also being a dick. He's hiding behind client, um, Patient, doctor. Uh, doc, doctor, client confidentiality. She's fucking dead. It's an FBI case. You have to report that shit. Do yeah, you not? And she reports crimes, like even if it's like narcotics abuse, which she does, or whatever. She's a prostitute at the One Eyed Jacks. He has to be reporting this, considering she's probably a minor. <laughs> Especially because she's a minor when some of this has taken place. Uh, yeah, he's being a real dick about it. Uh, he's a bad doctor. Uh, I'm glad Secret History actually has him disbarred <laughs> after the Laura Palmer murder. Because That's I think, uh, like, Frost kind of is like, yeah, that in hindsight, this guy's a terrible psychiatrist. <laughs> he's sleeping with his patients. It's it's bad. Uh, but he does also, we get another red herring. He's like, yeah, I followed her one night. And or might have been the night of the murder. I'm not entirely. I don't know. Remember that. But he did say there was a red Corvette. So we have yes. another red herring at Leo being the perp. Yes, yes, and that's again points out the whole why it was so goddamn dumb for him to take that to the goddamn meeting. And um, so they do this, and then um, Gordon Cole. Paul! <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what's yeah. going on over there in your podcast? <laughs> uh, I love Gordon Cole. I, I've Lynch, this is like the only time I think Lynch has ever pulled a, a Hitchcock where he puts himself in his own movies or his own projects. He plays the FBI agent Gordon Cole. Hard of hearing, he shouts. <laughs> oh, so great. He's calling, he's confirming uh, Albert's findings, uh, the the item with the J in her stomach was part of a chip from One-Eyed Jacks, and he also, uh, he, he pisses Cooper off a bit. Uh, he's like, Albert <laughs> wants to go to the state attorney about Harry punching him. <laughs> Cooper basically told Harry to go fuck himself. I mean, he's yeah. just... Yes, and and it's so great because he's like, Gordon, I'm not gonna, you know, say, you know how Albert is, Gordon, and, and you hear you hear him going, "Don't you hang up on me, Cooper?" And Cooper hangs up on his own <laughs> boss. The balls of Cooper. Yeah, like you and I or anybody else would have been fired. If we did that. Just like straight up told our boss to go fuck himself and then hang up. Like, but not Cooper. He's uh, yeah, I just. I love it. Is this Gordon Cole? He comes in later too. Like Lynch, I love him as the FBI guy. Can't hear. Uh, you think he just made the hard of hearing things just so he could just yell all the time? Right, right. So, and and um, um, so I I love, and that's like again the the first interjection. So then they um, 
uh, yeah, they find out that Laura has the giant coke habit, and then they get a call from Hawk. He found the one-armed man. Yeah, he's the only good cop in this town. Like, he recognized this guy's a little suspicious at the morgue. <laughs> you know, he has one arm. He's wearing a bright red shirt. Cooper and Harry in the same elevator during the pilot. Nothing suspicious. Like, this is a small town. Like, if anything, <laughs> if somebody with one arm is just going to stand out. Like, that's just our <laughs> internal. This is maybe it's just my bias, but I would I would recognize that. <laughs> point po- point out that he is at on the ICU unit on both times. <laughs> yes, yes, and then he just vanishes. He just vanishes when Hawk's trying to follow him. Well, he doesn't <laughs> vanish. He just goes to the stairwell, and Hawk decides not to follow him. That's not vanishing. That's bad police work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so, guys. I, I want to point out that we love this show. I, I we, we just are going at it from a critical, cynical point of view here. Yes, we love it. And uh, and I got to say, this next scene where they go into Gerard's hotel room, uh, Mike, the one-armed man, uh, Al Strobel hams this up, and I love it. I fucking so love this. So uh, He's just he's in a he's wearing just a towel. <laughs> they burst in right when he's stepping out of the shower, and he's just terrified. Obviously, I'd be terrified too. And they're like, they're Cooper's just ramming with questions like, "Who's Bob? Oh, Bob, yeah, my good friend. The, he's a, you know an animal doctor. Yeah, he's in the intensive care unit. Bad crash. <laughs> he's he's the best doctor. He's the best animal doctor there is." it's just like like, you know it's like you had a tattoo on that arm and he's like what did it say he's like mom he just starts bawling which you pointed out to me a really good point about the mom and why don't you why why don't you state that it's a palindrome Mm -hmm. it's uh it's i didn't pick this up until i watched this episode and thought about it because this Twin Peaks plays with a lot with, like we've talked about, like dualism, black and white, back and forth. And uh, they do palindromes with Bob. Uh, one of the things is little man says, wow, Bob, wow. I believe that's in Firewalk with me in the lodge. And uh, it's a palindrome, you know, it's the same backward and forward. And so so is mom. That's what Mike had on his arm was a palindrome. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, and I thought that was a wonderful point. Like, wow, that's that actually is a really good connection uh, to that. The I, I think that was clever in that regards. Um, so before they go in there, though, let's talk about how bad Andy is. Before they go <laughs> in there, they're staying outside. Andy drops his fucking gun and it goes off. And meanwhile, you got Ben Horn and Catherine who have been doing the worst deal in, in history. Yes. Um, um, doing uh, doing these things, and um, and and they. Um, Josie's there too. <laughs> Josie's taking pictures. Yeah, Josie's there, and they do all these things, and um, the gun drops. Now, would you not? I, I would come out. I'd be like, oh my god, the cops are all here. They know what we're doing. The the, the stop ghostwood flyers are out. Everyone knows what we're doing. The guns up. We've been plotting this thing. I'm out. Okay, guys, come arrest us. Come here, hands up, arrest us. Yeah, or, you know, uh, maybe second guess, maybe, you know, meeting up. Just, you know, just lay off this one. There's an FBI investigation going on in your town. 
Ghostwood can wait. It's a bad business proposition anyway. You guys are trying to sell land that isn't yours. God, it's such a bad plot. <laughs> it is a really bad plot. It is a really bad plot. But they just go about their business like, oh, no, they're not here for us. Like it's normal in this town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only person who's generally frightened and reacts like a normal person is Mike. And he's he's a lodge entity. He's <laughs> He's part of the lodge. We don't know... We never see him in the White Lodge. Uh, we only see him really in the Black Lodge. Uh, I'm not even sure if the the one lodge we see in the return where the fireman is is the White Lodge. It could, could be, could not be. We do see it in season two, which is uh, odd <laughs> with Briggs, but we'll get to that when we do. We'll but, get to that when we do, because I, I have a different theory than you. But Mike is at least he's an ally he's trying he's trying to stop. So I, he he's part of the Black Lodge, but I think he's trying to it's like maybe a redemption story here for that guy. That's what I think. So I think he's I think he's something different at this point uh, than a full on Black Lodge entity. And I think the entities know it. Um, and also Twin Peaks Firewalk with me does some weird shit with him, too. It doesn't make sense. But anyways, well, he does get that great scene where he just pulls up on Leland and starts screaming at him. That's just, what I'm talking about. Yeah. I love it. And he's like, he's it looks like he's flipping the bird at him because he has the owl cave ring on. It's just uh, fucking, it's, it's bonkers. I, we'll I have it. so much because I feel like that's a retcon in of itself. Like, like it really undoes some of the things that were done here um, because, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. So, yeah, I have some I have some questions that I'm hoping you can actually fill me in on when we when we get to that point. Um, so the other thing I love about this is Andy's like, th- th- you know, he's the shoe salesman, and he's like, you only got right shoes, and like he's like, yeah, those are my these are my test shoes, these are my demo shoes. I you know, can order to you in two to you know in two days. They can be shipped to you. What is he fucking Amazon? And, <laughs> and but he also brings up the point. He's like, I used to sell pharmaceuticals, which is a big point, which is actually a clue. I used to sell pharmaceuticals, but this is what I, it was a good job, but this is what I do now. Yeah, I, it's a, it's a it's a back oh, like kind of like a backdoor clue. You don't know this is a clue until you've seen the first episode of season 2 mm-hmm. where this clue is brought to fruition with the giant with chemicals he points. Yep. And the other thing I want to say is I want to see that I want to see that. I want David Lynch to do a show about the one-armed man being a pharmaceutical and shoe rep. I want to see this because I want. To, I think I would love to see the duality when he switches between um, Mike and, and 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 the arm, um, or Mike, Mike and Mike. Like when the duality of that, and just see him. Like, could you imagine him like being at, like at a shoe rep and fucking losing it and turning into the fucking entity? Holy God, it'd be yeah. fucking amazing. I would love that show. Imagine he's selling you shoes and he starts. I see you, Bob. Like, oh my God, I just want a new pair of Nikes, man. Right, freaking <laughs> me out. But yeah, so they don't get much out of Mike, uh, but he's established now. They know it. They, he's there. Uh, they just, I mean, it's hard to. You can't bring him in because this is all based off visions and dreams. That does not fall into the rule of law we're a nation of laws no you can't can't hold somebody off of it no matter how good your intuition is he hasn't done anything wrong it's just cooper saw him in a dream well he did see him at the 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 pilot so that 
a lot of this could be explained away if they tried to do anything. So they kind of just let him go because they're not really getting anything out of him. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, they have to let him go. So then we, you know, we find more about Hank. And the, the big thing that happens here is, is that Norma and Hank have to, um, they have to, they're, they're, now that he's out of prison, her and Ed have to stop seeing each other. And um, uh, that really bothers her. Um, and uh, it makes things kind of weird between Ed and, and Norma, which is E-plot, really. Um, but then we cut to Shelly Johnson with Bobby, and we learn about the gun fetish. Yeah, and she also, you pointed out, she's wearing a teddy to work under her work uniform. She's wearing a, a black teddy. Black teddy. Um, um, and it's glaring. Like, how do you, I mean, how, how do you be a waitress and wear that? That's some dedication to the Teddy market right there. I mean, <laughs> and she's got the gun and she's playing with her breasts. Well, she's got it and she's turning Bobby on. And they're talking about how, how Bobby's going to take care of her. And, you know, just, you know, she, she gives him the, she gives him the shirt and he's going to take care of him. And he comes up with the dumbest fucking plot ever, um, which is. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> again he's gonna cross over into Canada and plant the bloody shirt at Jacques Renault's <laughs> place, right. which uh, I don't know, just leave it at Leo's house and call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, just be there and just say, "Hey, Shelly, call nine one one. You found a bloody shirt." <laughs> right. But instead, he goes to do this. Now, the one thing I will say that does kind of make sense is because they haven't talked about it a while, but he does owe ten grand to um, to Bobby. I mean, to Leo. And I'm assuming he knows that he works with the Renaults on on their drug deals. I'm assuming Bobby does because it's not really clear um, how Bobby would even know uh, about Jacques, other than he's got to have an idea. Um, and. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of get that, but at the same time, it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, and he does it at the worst time, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we kind of, uh, Cooper and uh, Harry and all, they're, they're looking at, uh, Albert found uh, bird scratches on Laura, and they do a deep dive on a, at a veterinarian clinic where... They're looking up for birds. They find out Jacques has a bird that was seen there. And based on, like, the scratches on Laura's body, it, there's a good chance that this was... Waldo was the bird. Waldo. So, so they Waldo. go to... <laughs> so they go to Jacques to, like, you know... He has... This is circumstantial evidence. and It's enough to get him, at least, uh, to be questioned. They, I don't think they could arrest him at this point, since... He's a Canadian citizen. They'd have to, you know, it's international. <laughs> you know, you're crossing borders with this, so you kind of have to tread a little carefully. But, yeah, how do they just break into a, <laughs> a house in Canadian soil, Paul? I, again, this is... <sighs> there's so many international laws that are being broken here. And the crazy thing is, is that this comes up later and they get nailed for that particular incident, but not this particular incident. Um, and Point, like, yeah. he's kicked, he's put on hiatus at the FBI in season two because of like the shenanigans with 
the borders and all that. Right, right, right. And the the other thing I, I want to jump back just a little bit was a veterinarian, which we didn't talk about. Was um, um, the the llama was my was my favorite. Why does this guy have a llama? Just weird to be weird. I think they, you mentioned it. They wanted to be a lynch a lynchian, but they find the twine as well, and so that's how they were able to. Con- Everything was the twine um, of, of the, that they that they believe that it's going to be the same twine that, that Laura, which it is. Um, but yeah, so then Hawk go. Okay, so Bobby's there. He sneaks out the window, and again, you're showing up to this guy's house. You don't know if he's there or not. So wouldn't you cover all entrances and exits in case the guy's fucking there? But no, they don't. So Bobby escapes out the fire and outruns Hawk. And but they have the shirt as uh, as evidence. There's just so much wrong with the scene when you yeah, really look at it critically. But the shirt does because uh, Leo has Shelly's uh, stitches and initials and all his clothes. Uh, you know, obviously she's losing his favorite shirts all the time. So he's just <laughs> if you see somebody wearing it, you can just pop the collar and find out if they stole it from him or not. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. She stitches names on. Oh my god! <laughs> what a fucking asshole! Well, oh, she's losing his shirts. He brought it up. This is the second favorite second, shirt of mine. Second favorite shirt. So you, I mean, and again, is he worried he's going to lose them at the pilot when he's taking a shower trucking? I mean, is he just going to show up one day because he's going to be out there meeting with the other truckers or a lot lizard, and he's going to be like, "Hey, that's my shirt. It says Leo in it," because yeah. you know Leo's fucking lot, lot lizards left and right. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. He's got he's got all sorts of VD going on, you know. But you know, this all kind of leads in this red herring that Leo was the killer, and as and when you when you take away the fact that we know where it's going as an audience, you know, you're kind of going, okay, these, you know, this is great. Yeah, it's all you know, everything's pointing Leo. Everything's pointing Leo. They're gonna get Leo for the murder. They're gonna get Leo for the ner- murder. Little did they know what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, <laughs> and then, they think they think it's Jock who ran out the window. Mm-hmm. Jock's was I mean, I'm gonna be blunt, he's a fat guy. <laughs> he's, he's a like, fat he's fuck. Not, he's uh, an Ernest Borg nine fuck. He he is. <laughs> so it's not like I mean, Grant like the guy playing Jock, there's a great uh he he's in Seinfeld, he plays the cable guy who chases Kramer down. So I guess he can run. <laughs> I just, I'm just not buying it here that he can outrun Hawk, who's like peak physical form. <laughs> Jesus. Right. Right. Um, and then, and then, uh, yeah. So you know, that's he gets away. He gets away. Um, um, so that's you know. Then the show ends with uh, James meeting Maddie and instantly falling in love. Which, again, I don't like this 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 take on it because uh, this is where the, the writing of james being poor comes in because between he and donna like especially in fire walk with me donna is supposed to be this element of light in in donna's life and so is james like you know james he was just too sweet and all these things and he was this great character and then they're going to do this weird ass love triangle and really kind of shit on what the character james was i just didn't like it um i don't know your thoughts on it joe no, yeah, they did. Uh, I, I even will say I like the Donna in Fire Walk With Me better than Laura Flynn Boyle. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm in a minority with that with a lot of Twin Peaks fans, but 
I just I think she's better for the that character considering Donna just her she gets poorly written too. We'll talk about it because she ends up. Uh, it's it's like she can becomes like a film noir like jaded <laughs> lover thing going on. And so yeah, so they these characters are not treated well in the not at especially all in season two here. It's yeah, it's it's a bunch of nonsense at this point. I I just don't. Whatever, but one thing I do want to bring up, and this is a, uh, this is something the FBI should have been looking into, is uh, so Audrey wants to work for the family, and she wants, uh, to yes. work. she wants to work at the perfume counter. This is where Ben Horn, outside of all his bad businesses, his decisions, he also trades in, you know, you know, trafficking <laughs> of mm-hmm. high school girls. Uh, these girls work at the perfume counter. They get recruited for to be uh, prostitutes at One-Eyed Jacks. They're typically minor. They're high school girls, so they're not really legal age. Uh, they, they, yeah, it's it's CD, but uh, Audrey's figured this out. Uh, Audrey's like one of the few characters I think remains well written through, even when the the lulls of season two, she's still. One of the few characters they kept well written, probably because uh, Sherilyn Fenn was probably like after Cooper, uh, she's probably the most popular character in the show, so they're not gonna crap over her too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, you 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 bring up a a, a valid point there with the, the whole perfume counter. I mean. Everyone, all roads kind of lead this perfume counter. And again, Audrey, this high school student, figures it out, and no one else does. That's really bizarre to me. Um, yes. The other thing we didn't talk about earlier that I want to talk to um, is um, um, the, the the gun range scene where they're down um, because because of, of what's his nuts because uh, of um, of um, um, uh, Annie dropping the gun. They make him do gun training. <laughs> that yeah. was in that was in this episode right yeah they they're at the gun range we do get uh they get sprinkled out of what will become this was in the plans to long with frost and lynch uh i know the character isn't your favorite i like him but they leave the, this starts the seeds of windham Earl in this mm-hmm. episode yes well, Cooper, cooper's talking about how he once knew a woman who taught him how to love and all that. Uh, this is, uh, and they'll kind of like, I I forgot how early they kind of start making these references to what would become uh, Cooper's great nemesis uh, in the FBI uh, in Wyndham Earl. But yeah, they referenced this early. Uh, that that character was going to happen no matter with the reveal was going to happen or not. Uh, he was in the he was in the he was in the making. Anyway, <laughs> he was, he was, I know. And they do, they do hint at this. And I, and I, and uh, you know, that's, we'll talk about Wyndham Earl when we get there, but yeah, that is the, that is the beginnings of the Wyndham Earl. Um, and then it ends with the phone call that we talked about where the fucking crazy Hank, gross Hank is looking a fucking diamond domino and calling Josie as soon as she gets the, 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 the letter. Oh, um, oh, oh, one more thing. One more thing. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, the owl. Oh, the owl! Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Go the ahead, owl Joe. Sees uh, James and Donna trying to find the 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 locket or the necklace. Uh, owls play a huge thing. They kind of like 
I see them as conduits, conduits for like the lodges. Like that's how the lodges see things. They're also predatory creatures and night creatures, which is also like why Bob is so aligned with uh, the owls. Like he, that's how I think Bob sees things and gets his information. There's even like in the the next season where his an owl's face is superimposed over his. Like it's not really subtle that he is. These owls are part of the darkness and the mysteries of the woods. Yes, and I do think this is some more indicative, not just Bob's power, but of of the lodges, uh, of, of the lodge beings. Um, I do think that that's where they're getting a lot of their things from because it is apparent that even uh, uh, beings of both the light and the dark lodges are able to manifest um, in people and other things. Um, so, yeah, I think that's indicative. I don't think that a particular hour was Bob, um, but I do no, think it was a... Yeah, we know yeah. where Bob is. We know where mm-hmm. Bob is right now. When after the reveal, after after a certain person le- leaves the mortal coil of Twin Peaks, Bob does inhabit an owl. Though it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of blatant that that's how he gets around. He needs he needs a host. It yes. seems like he's like a parasite of some sort, a spiritual parasite. And the owls are also brought up in secret history. Uh, people are talking about like ancient of like the Native Americans uh, talking about walking, talking owls. <laughs> uh, yes, 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 absolutely. So I do think that's um, and it's it's creepy and absolutely. And we'll talk about something else there that we could I think we talk about in another episode um, um, about the the, the lights. Um, the, yes. Yes, um, the, traffic we'll, the traffic lights, and we'll get to that. But all, overall, in these two episodes, I mean, what you know, I really feel like, uh, again, looking at them just as these two episodes for this podcast, um, there is a really strong pulls as to why season two was as bad as it was without the main plot. Yeah, this is uh, the only way, reason we, you know, this stuff, it's not like we put up with it. It, it is enjoyable when you're just kind of watching it for the experience. But when there's no central mystery and they rely on this this stuff, it's not fun. It's This stuff just falls flat because it just, this stuff is, like you know, you need the backbone to prop everything up. And when you lose the backbone and you're just with this, it's, it's basically just like, it's weird randomness. It's like, it's basically like you take the mystery out of twin peaks and you pretty much just have like the nonsense of Tommy Wiseau's the room. Like people are just doing things. And you have no reason why <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's quirky. It's weird, but again, it, it worked with what the show was and it works well as a, as a parody of what a soap opera was, which is what they were trying to do. Yeah. And to the point they even mimic the biggest, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe even thumb their nose a bit of like the who shot Jr. at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. They do. Absolutely. They do. So, yeah, I mean, not that they're bad episodes. Um, it's just in my mind, I, I like it when there's more of the a plot, the Cooper, the investigation going on. But again, I feel like this was kind of that lull because there never was an intention to reveal it. So they started to fill these other things in and, um, um, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, they're not the strongest of this first season, but they are nowhere near the doldrums of what was season two. I think you agree with me on that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, season two is like, uh, I think we're just going to get this, let you let you all know, there's going to be like a, a seven episode streak, seven or eight episodes, I believe, after when that really loses its, really loses its uh power or it's you know it we're just gonna do all those in one fell swoop because they're i don't want to be doing two episodes of those a week every other week it's just i'm not interested in talking about evelyn and james and like the weird and i just don't care it's there's no mystery uh they take too long to get an antagonist and windham earl going it's just uh yeah, it, we're gonna just, we're just gonna do those all in one one pod. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, we will. Um, so yeah, I think that really wraps this one up. Now, again, going in the next one, I'm excited because I know what's coming up in the next two episodes, um, and things pick up again on the on the a plot. But yeah, this is just way honestly, this is just way too much Ben and Catherine for me. Yeah, I'm excited for the next episodes too because uh, I'm really excited to talk about that. Uh, mustache and wig that big ed wears <laughs> oh my god yes i love it it's, it's so unnecessary but it's to me it's great we'll get to it but i am so excited <laughs> uh, oh I, I am too um um uh i i would love it i would love it um uh to talk about the, oh my god i totally i wasn't even thinking about that yeah the dentist jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um other than that joe um what do we what, what are your what are your final thoughts oh uh, yeah these were heavy on c and d plots but they're enjoyable still like uh i we kind of take the piss out of it but that's kind of like what we're doing uh we praise the show when it's doing it well i mean obviously we gush over lynch and frost's strong points but we also we're going to point out that some of this stuff makes absolutely no sense uh we're not purists we're going to point out the warts and all and this these two episodes certainly started showing some of the warts in the show uh y- yes yeah and that's and that's kind of it you know i mean we love the show but you know and when and i didn't realize i was going to be this harsh going but when you break it down into like two episode chunks you really do start to see the warts more than you do the whole story. I, did, I mean, this was never how it should have been intended to, to, to be. Yeah, and it, I, it's, it's funny because, like, you know, I don't remember it kind of, like, being kind of annoyed by this when I originally watched it because we had to wait every other week for an episode. <laughs> so I think right. streaming really made this show is one of the reasons this show came back is streaming made it. So you can go into, it's a very good show, I think to, to binge, but also like not binge to an extent. So you got to kind of take it all in. I made the mistake when the return came out, they uh, showtime dropped the first four episodes and I spent four hours watching that, trying to take it all in. And I, I just couldn't. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 what I did when I was watching the, the, the return was I was watching it week to week and I do think I need to just sit down. I mean, I know it's 18 hours, but there is a break point and you know exactly the episode I'm talking about where I feel like 
that's like part that's like the the the, the thing between part one and part two yes yeah. yeah yeah that's like it's not i don't want to call it the intermission episode because probably is yours and mine favorite episode but it's a wonderful break point if you're gonna fucking binge that show like i think it needs to be done yes absolutely Absol- and i don't i would love to see a cut i don't know if we'll ever get it um i, I i'll be honest with you i own i bought that limited edition z to a box set i have not opened it <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to open it. Like that's a treasure to me. Um, but um, I, I may at some point, if I can find something like it or another box that, that does come out, that's not so limited um, with all of it together. Cause there's always twin peaks box sets that come out. They're, they're going to keep farting these out. I, I got the complete mystery, the gold box and the return. Uh, yeah. I'm happy until I would love to see a 4K release. I know the box that you have has the pilot and part eight of the return in 4K, which I would love to see, but I'm going to wait until they put the whole thing out, out in 4K just because I can't justify buying another box <laughs> from Twin right. Peaks. They, they, you got my money, Frost and Lynch. <laughs> right, right. And um, the thing is, is that what I love to see, though, is like a marathon mode where they take out the, the musical interludes and just cut it into an actual full-on bingeable movie or a marathon lynch won't do that just he doesn't the cuts you get is the cut you get uh with him he doesn't do director's cuts uh i know there's a renegade cut of fire walk with me with the missing pieces put in and a lot of people want lynch to try to do that you will never get it it's just the cut you got is the cut you got (laughs) right Right, and this I know goes that. back to his Dune experience, which we talk about it. Cast that movie, so <laughs> yes. So the so this podcast will be up before um, before the next cast that movie. But you were in our last cast that movie, Joe. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed uh, chatting with you and Jode. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I had a blast doing it, especially with uh, you know Voldemort happening right now. Like being able to talk to other human beings. <laughs> is a is a treat for me yes yes uh we loved having you on i i think we'd like to do that again um i know you're busy so not all the time but it was wonderful having you on and yeah we really dug in the dune on that one and uh it felt like during that part of it that it was just like this podcast i think you're the one that made that comment and it really did <laughs> it became a mini episode of the it did poor, it poor did Joe, the- he's just listening to us He's just says geek out on Dune, and he's just not into it at all. Poor him. He's just the patience of a saint. Um, Bless him, man. Bless that guy for putting up with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, uh, and, but, yes, so I think, you guys, if you like this one, you're definitely going to love um, uh, episode five of uh, Cast That Movie. And um, because Joe will be, be in on that, so you definitely want to hear that. Joe, why don't you take us out? Uh, yeah, so that is it for this week. Uh, we'll be back in uh, two weeks with uh, episodes uh, five and six, four and five. <laughs> However, the yeah, uh, five, uh, five and six. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be getting into kind of more of the A plot, which I'm excited for. But yeah, until next time, uh, just remember the owls are not what they seem. Uh, and uh, wow, Bob, wow. <laughs> <laughs>